0: That song was released in 1979 by Sister Sledge. I had just turned 20 years old. I still had hair. I had a bright red beard. And um, Jill and I had been married almost one year, so we were still newlyweds. And Disco was in the process of finally dying that year. But this was and is quite a dance song, and it's been popular for years. And in California as a youth pastor, I was hearing the song, and I thought it had a catchy tune, but something else was going on in 1979. It was going on, and I wasn't even paying attention to it in California. You see... The Pittsburgh Pirates had 98 wins and 68 losses that season. They captured the National League East Division title over the Montreal Expos. The Pirates then beat the Cincinnati Reds to win their ninth National League title, and then they beat the Baltimore Orioles to win their fifth World Series title. That's when it happened. And I didn't know it until Pastor Bill told me while planning this message, the disco hit, We Are Family, was used as the team's theme song that year. Now, most of you knew that, but I didn't know that. But I just might observe, it seems that the Pirates might need to find a theme song If that's what works for them, then maybe they need to find a theme song to get back to the World Series. Now, you might be wondering why we played that song today in church, and it's because of this series we're in. We have been rethinking church by looking at the different word pictures used in the Bible to describe the church. And our hope has been to help many people move past a negative view of the church and to see what was in Jesus's heart when he established the church. We want to reevaluate our thinking and Uh, re-elevate the church to the place where God intends for it to be in our lives, and uh, the place that Jesus meant for it to hold in God's plan. And today we're finishing this series by looking at the concept of the church as the family of God. And one of my favorite passages where this concept is found is Ephesians chapter 2 Verse 19, and I like it from the living paraphrase. Here's what it says. Now, you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. This demonstrates God's heart. We aren't strangers. We aren't guests in God's economy. We are members of his very own family. And if you have ever struggled to feel like you belong, if you have ever felt like you were left out or pushed aside and that you don't belong anywhere, this passage tells you very clearly you belong here. You belong in God's household with every other Christian. The biblical concept of the church uh, is that we are to be a community, a family, where people belong together and share together, and we are family together, and the church is home for all who claim Jesus as Lord. 600 students at a university were asked to write one word on a piece of paper. They wanted them to write the most beautiful word in the English language. And 112 of those 600 wrote the exact same word. They wrote the word home. Home was the most beautiful word in the English language to them. And yet, the truth is, many don't see the words home and family as beautiful words or positive concepts. How you react to the church being the family of God has a lot to do with your concept of family. And I personally have a pretty positive view of family. My parents and my grandparents loved each other, and they loved me, and my dad and my mom were supportive, and they were loving to us. And were there a few issues? Well, of course there were. That happens in all families, and there always are. But my view of family is pretty positive. That isn't the case for some of you. For some of you, when you hear the word family, you have an immediate negative reaction I remember asking one man in our church in California if he would share at an upcoming uh, Sunday at Christmas time his best childhood memories of Christmas. He immediately said no. He didn't even think, he just said no. He said, Unless you want me to share about my dad being drunk and angry and abusive again, I don't have any positive Christmas memories. And some of you can relate. The word family brings up painful memories for you. Some of you had great families growing up, but maybe you have a negative reaction to the concept of the church as the family of God because you've been in some pretty dysfunctional church families. Yeah, I have been too. Yet, even though some have a negative concept of family, Scripture uses this concept of the church being family maybe most often, maybe most often. I mean, it's on page after page after page of the Bible. We refer to God as our heavenly Father, and some refer to other Christians as brothers and sisters, and we talk about being children of God. The concept runs pretty deep it runs pretty deep. And to really understand it and to embrace it, we have to get past any hurt or dysfunction that we have experienced in our past, and we have to explore God's heart in declaring the church to be the family of God. And as we have done in other weeks during this series, we need to set aside our understanding of what the church is or what it has become and look at what Jesus intends for it to be. So let me point out three significant truths about being part of God's family. First, being part of God's family means we celebrate our family heritage. We celebrate our family heritage. Have you allowed yourself to understand the absolute privilege of being part of God's family? Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault, we who stand before him covered with his love. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this... Because he wanted to. He did this because he wanted to. God didn't get stuck with us. He didn't get stuck with us. He chose us. He adopted us to be part of his family. And he did it because he wanted to because he wanted to. It, It gave him joy the day that we joined his family. It was the fulfillment of his dream to have you be one of his children, to have you be part of his family. It was part of his unchanging plan. Now, if that isn't something to celebrate, I don't know what is. If that isn't what's in it for me, I don't know what else would be better than that. No matter how bad your family was growing up, no matter how much you have been rejected in your past or pushed aside, God pulled you close and he made you his child when he sent Jesus to die for you on the cross. But being part of God's family means we need to celebrate and think about our family heritage. It means we probably should work hard to reflect our Father. We should try to look like him and act like him in everything we do. We've tried to say it gently in this series. Um, what we do here isn't about us. It isn't decided by majority rule or by the preferences of our people. We do what we do in an, in an attempt to live for an audience of one. We are trying to live up to God's desire and God's plan for impact. And that means we all need to become like him. We all need to follow his purpose and his plans for his church as we reach up to him and help others reach up to him also. And when people walk in here, we reflect our Father. When people meet us on the street, they should see our Father, we wear his name and we should look like him. Have you ever noticed how many Hispanic names end with es? Have you ever wondered why that was the case? I mean, in the old Spanish, es, easy, meant son of. Therefore, therefore, Gonzalo's son would be called Gonzales. And Domingo's son would be called Domingus. And Fernando's son would be called Fernandez. And many languages have a similar thing. And you even see it in English with Johnson and Williamson and Thompson and Robinson. The point is that for centuries, men have identified a man by who his father was. If we as Christians are children of God, then we should be recognizable because of who our Father is. We get our identity and our worth from that relationship, and we should display his characteristics. It's no wonder that people in the Bible began calling the followers of Jesus Christians. Christian means belonging to Christ or simply those of Christ. And so our church bears our family name. We are Impact Christian Church or Impact Belonging to Christ Church. We celebrate that and we strive to honor him by carrying on our family heritage and reflecting his heart in everything we do. That's part of what it means to be a part of the family of God. But being part of the family of God also means we grow to love each other well. We grow to love each other well. Do you know what I've discovered in my 40 years of ministry? Even the most dysfunctional families would tell you that they sincerely love each other. I mean, I have seen some really dysfunctional families. They might fight, they might argue, they might become horribly abusive verbally and maybe even physically abusive, but they will still tell you with passion that they love each other sincerely. The problem is they don't know how to love each other well. They love each other, they just don't know how to love each other well And that's the problem in the church sometimes. Sometimes in churches around the country, people love each other. They just don't love each other well. I mean, sometimes in the church, people will demand their own way, even if it hurts others, or some will say the most unkind things about others in the church, and some will just want to avoid conflict altogether, even if it means not doing the things that reflect the father's desires for the church I remember years ago in one of the churches we served a man told me that he thought of me like one of his sons he meant it as a compliment he really did later on when he was saying horribly hurtful things to me I realized he was treating me just like he treats his son Pretty horribly. You see, sometimes the problem isn't that we don't love each other. We just don't love each other well. We don't love each other well. And Romans 12 can give us some insight on how the members of the family of God can love each other well. Look at what it says in Romans 12 you, Your love must be real, hate what is evil. Do only what is good. Love each other in a way that makes you feel close like brothers and sisters and give each other more honor than you give yourself. This whole section is about our relationships with each other. It's about helping each other to grow in Christ and encouraging each other. It's what we call reaching in around here. And as God's family, we need to pay attention to this. We need to make sure that our love is real, that our love is sincere. And here are some questions we can begin to ask each other as we learn to love each other well. And these aren't in your notes, but uh, you can begin to ask yourself, Is how I'm about to treat this person loving? Is it loving? Will this accomplish good in their life? Will it draw us closer as sisters and brothers? Am I giving them more honor than I'm demanding for myself? Now, notice the questions that you are asking are about how you are loving other people, not about how they're loving you. These questions are about how you're doing in loving others well, not about how they are doing in loving you. Too often, we try to find uh, define love by whether I'm feeling love rather than by how I'm giving love. And the other truth that we have to admit here is You cannot possibly love everyone well in a church this size. One person can't do that. I mean, while we have between 600 and 700 people here each weekend, we have between 1,200 and 1,500 people that call impact their home church. And I really, really, really want to do a good job of loving everyone and serving everyone, but it's impossible for one person to do that. Here's the truth. A church of our size is more like a tribe. Growth groups are the family units. Our church is large enough that we're more like a tribe or an extended family. And we come together for family reunions every weekend... But you don't get to interact with everybody there. I mean, I try to personally greet people who are here before every worship experience begins. And I go out on the turf field on this side each weekend after the worship experiences to personally greet as many others as possible. But I only get to greet about half of you. And I'm the pastor. And some of you come here to our worship experiences, to this family reunion and you're surrounded by people and maybe maybe you feel like the black sheep of the family when you leave because only a few talk to you. And that's why we have growth groups. That's why we have ministry teams. Our growth groups are designed to help us love each other well, as Pastor Seth indicated last weekend, our groups here are where people really get to know each other and where your needs can be cared for and where your needs can be met. And if you have a crisis in your life or in your family, your group can rally around you and help you. And when others uh, in your group are dealing with a crisis in their life, you can love them well by serving them. Can I just gently say, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking that the church hasn't done a very good job of loving you well in your time of crisis and need, it's probably because you haven't gotten into a group yet. You probably haven't gotten into a growth group or a ministry team. And what's more, if you aren't in a group, it probably means that you haven't been able to participate in loving other people in God's family very well or either. See, there are so many things that we could say about loving each other well. Loving each other well doesn't mean that we won't disagree or that we won't have conflicts. That's part of any family, and I'm so thankful that we don't have very many around here. Pastor Seth used a verse last weekend from Proverbs 27. You remember it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It's a beautiful picture. Two people sharpening each other, iron sharpening iron. But have you ever seen iron sharpen iron? Have you ever seen what happens it throws off a ton of sparks when iron sharpens iron. It gets kind of uncomfortable, kind of hot when that happens. And so that happens even when we're loving each other well. And uh, that is part of it. And so we love each other well with, in the midst of the conflicts by uh, solving those conflicts, by dealing with them in a biblical way and uh, a Christ-like way. Let's move on. One last truth. Being part of God's family means we work together on family priorities. We work together on family priorities. Part of being in a family is working together and doing the chores. You probably got the speech from your dad too, didn't you? I remember as a child, my dad giving this speech. We're a family here. We share the responsibilities here. We all have to do our chores so that the family runs smoothly. I heard that speech so many times, and I remember the first time I started into that speech with my children, cringing just a little bit because I had become my father. But my guess is you heard that speech, and some of you have given that speech, haven't you? Whether it was cutting the grass or taking out the trash or doing laundry or cleaning the bathrooms, every family member worked together to accomplish family priorities. And that's also the plan that God has for his church as his family. Not only does Romans 12 give us some insight on how to love each other well, it also gives us instructions on how we work together on family priorities. Look at verses 11 through 13. As you serve the Lord, work hard and don't be lazy. Be excited about serving him. Be happy because of the hope you have. Be patient when you have troubles. Pray all the time. Share with God's people who need help. Look for people who need help and welcome them into your home. Did you notice that these verses say that serving is not optional for members of God's family. It's just assumed that we will do it, that family members will be a part of serving. It also indicates that we should be excited about serving. Now, don't do what some people have done about that. Don't say, you know what, Pastor, I'm not excited about serving, so I'm just not going to serve. That's not what this passage is saying. If you aren't excited about serving... That probably means that you're either serving in the wrong place or you just have a really bad attitude. You may need a new place to serve or you may need a new attitude. And it's exciting to serve Jesus. When we remember why we're doing it, it isn't a job, it's contributing to life change. The people serving in guest services and on our parking lot are welcoming people to impact for the first time. They're helping them feel loved and they're helping them feel comfortable. And the people preparing trays for communion are helping people be able to encounter God in a very real way as a part of our service. And the tech team is actually helping people hear the uh, message of God and to experience him And while you are changing diapers in the nursery, God is changing the hearts of parents in this room. When you remember why you're serving, it just makes it easier to be excited about serving and patient while serving. But if we're working together on family priorities, what are those priorities? Let's list a few. First, honoring and obeying the Father. That should be a priority, shouldn't it, in any family? We've talked about this, but we never want to forget that our first priority isn't to please people, but to honor God and to do what He's calling us to do. It would be so much easier if we could just take a vote You know, if we could just say, hey, what does everybody want us to do? What does everybody want us to teach? What would everybody like us as a church to believe? That would be so much easier. But we're called to do what God has asked us to do. And each of us as individuals need to honor and obey him. But as a church, we need to do that too. Another priority is encouraging each other to grow encouraging each other to grow God's plan for each of us is to grow and to be different I'm supposed to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today I, I should be 365 times more like Jesus a year from now than I am right now and you should be too You should be becoming more and more like Jesus. And to do that successfully, we need each other. We depend on each other. Again, that's why being in a growth group or a ministry group is so important. And that is where we develop the relationships that let us encourage and challenge each other to grow so that we can become the people that God wants us to be. The next priority is caring for the hurting. Caring for the hurting one of God's family priorities is for us to care for people that are hurting, that are helpless they come in different shapes and sizes they come from different situations some are hurting today because their marriage is an absolute mess and some are hurting today because they're dealing with a rebellious child and some are hurting today because they are the rebellious child They are the rebellious child. They're doing things that they know God wouldn't want them to do, but they're doing them anyway, and it's harming them spiritually and in other ways. And some are hurting because of financial problems or because of job stress or because of secret sins or because of encounters with discrimination or countless other hurts that are represented in this room. And one of the priorities we have as God's family is to care for people who are hurting in the very best way we can. And being sensitive to what God is urging us to do means moving forward together in bigger ways to help people who are hurting, to unleash compassion in this community. The last priority that we'll talk about is bringing the lost ones home bringing the lost ones home. If I understand the teaching of Jesus correctly, this has to be one of our highest priorities as a church. Picture it this way. It comes to dinner time, okay? Dinner time at your house, and everybody's called to the dinner table because you're going to have that nice family meal sitting around the dining room table. Everybody shows up at the table except only three of your four children are there. And so you all say, hey, where's Jimmy? And everybody looks at each other and kind of shrugs. And you find out nobody has seen Jimmy since he got on the bus for school that morning. And nobody's talked to him. Nobody's heard from him. Nobody's seen him. So what do you do? Do you go, well, you know, 75% of our kids are here. That's pretty good let's eat. I mean, we got three out of four. That's pretty good. No one does that. You go into panic mode. You start making phone calls. You get in the car. You start driving around. You go looking for that lost child. You're absolutely panicked because nobody has seen that child. For that that moment, those other three kids don't matter at all. What matters is the one that's lost. And that's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. He's glad we're here together as family. But he has children that are lost. Children that are in danger of being trapped for eternity by sin and by Satan. And his heart is crying out. For his lost children, his priority is for us to seek and to save the lost. He wants us to bring the lost ones the lost ones home. And there are so many ways that we can do that. And let me just give you, these aren't in your notes either, a few ways that you can personally make a difference in helping to bring the lost ones home. The first one is just this, pray. Pray every day that God will show you who you should be inviting, who you should be impacting. Pray and then invite them. Now, I promise you, if you pray consistently, that God will show you who is in your line of sight, in your path every day who needs Jesus, I promise you he is going to point out people in your path that he wants you to try to influence. I promise You just need to pray that God will show you who they are and then that he will give you the courage to invite them and to build relationships with them. So begin with prayer. Secondly, would you get here early to welcome guests? Get here early to welcome guests. You see, here's the strange thing. Our guests believe this service starts at 930 30. Because that's when we advertise that it's going to start. And so you know what time our guests are here? 9.25, 9.30, and sometimes they come into a pretty empty room. You know why? Because some of you don't get here until 9.40, Can I just say, I know it's such a simple thing, but if we just got here early, I mean, we'd never do that if we invited people to our home, right? Hey, come to my house for dinner at 5.30 and I'll show up at 5.45. You'll feel real welcome. You understand? It's just a simple thing. Be here early and welcome guests. Just be a friendly face. And then the other one is just observe the three-minute rule. We've talked about this before, but here's the three-minute rule. Don't talk to anybody you know for the first three minutes after this service ends. Look for people you don't know. Maybe They may have been here for months, or they might be here for the first time, but find the people that you don't know and talk to them. Tell them your name. Introduce yourself. Get to know them because our guests leave fairly quickly, but the people you know will still be here after three minutes. And these are just simple ways, really simple ways that we can help bring lost one's home. So let's work together at achieving our family priorities. And by that I mean God's priorities. And I know some of you may be tired. Maybe you have served for a long time and you just feel like sometimes that no one notices or that it should be somebody else's turn or that it's not making any difference. Look at this verse from Galatians chapter 6. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So we're coming to the end of our Rethinking Church series. And I want to end this a little bit different. Someone has said that When it's all been said and done, more has been said than done. And I really believe that when we hear the word of God, we need to respond to it. So in the back of the chairs in front of you, there's a form that looks like this. Take one out. I'd like you to have it in your hand. And it says, my rethinking church response and you can read through that, but there's several ways that you can respond. You can say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to attend church more often. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get into a group, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray for people. By the way, if you're going to be a part of the each one, reach one by praying for someone, we've got a place for you to put names there, names that you're praying for, and we will pray with you also for those names and for your ability to uh, reach one and maybe you are already serving and you're going to be a part of our each one recruit one uh part of our theme there and uh, there at the very bottom there's a place for you to put something else in something we haven't thought of here's what I'm going to do here's my next step but there's two others there that I want to talk a little bit about One says, it's time for me to formalize my partnership, so sign me up for our starting point class. Some of you have been here a long time, and it's time for you to become formal members of this church. And you do that by going to our starting point class, and there's three dates there. It's time for you to become formally a member here, and I hope that these will be the biggest classes that we've had all year. But the last one there says, or the next one there says, it's time for me to be baptized into God's family we've done this each week of this series we've said we want to give people the opportunity to say you know what it's my time it's my day today is the day that I'm going to die to who I used to be and start living for who God wants me to be I'm going to get rid of my sin and my selfishness and start living for Jesus as a part of his family So far, I believe we've had eight or nine people baptized during this series in the last three or four weeks. Isn't that great? Eight or nine people. Isn't that great? But I'm wondering if there are people today that need to take that step. Maybe for the last three or four weeks, you've been thinking, I really should do that. You should. Today. Right now. In this service. You're saying, well, I didn't come ready. Well, we're ready. We've got clothes. We've got towels. The baptistry is warm. We're ready. Today would be a great day for you to say, you know what? I'm going to walk out of my old life and walk into God's family where I belong with every other Christian. I'm going to become who God wants me to become. I'm going to let him wash me clean. If you're ready to do that today in just a few minutes we're going to sing a song and when we sing that song all you have to do is step over towards those doors. I'll be waiting for you and we are ready to help you make that step today. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, in this place right now each one of us is being nudged by you to make a response to take a step to do something as we want to be A part of your church as we want to be good family members and so father right now i pray that as we pray over this form as we think about what our response should be i pray father that everyone will fill out the form place it in the offering bag so that they can take a tangible step towards you and father i pray especially for those that you have been nudging maybe for weeks, maybe for months, to commit themselves fully to you, to give themselves fully to you by dying to who they were so they can become who you want them to be, who you designed them to be. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that is ready to take that step, that you'll give them the courage to step out, to do it today step out as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.